Welcome to another in-depth exploration of the book of Jeremiah. Written by Imray Tokic, Ph.D., LLD. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 12. Back to Egypt. May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Jeremiah chapter 42 and verse 5, New International Version. This exploration brings us toward the end of the saga of Jeremiah the prophet. However, this is not a and-they-lived-happily-ever-after ending. In a sense, one could summarize this exploration and even a good portion of the book of Jeremiah by saying that what we will learn is an example of the limits of grace. That is, grace will not save those who utterly refuse to accept it. No matter how much the Lord spoke to them, offering them salvation, protection, redemption, peace, and prosperity, all but a tiny and faithful remnant scorned and rejected God's offer. And what about Jeremiah? His was a life and work that from all human appearances seemed futile. The weeping prophet had plenty to weep about. Even after everything he warned about came to pass, the people still clung to their sins and paganism and rebellion, openly defying the prophet to his face and scorning the word of the Lord to them. How we need to be careful. Grace is grace because it's given to the undeserving. Yes, but it's not forced on anyone. We must be willing to accept it. Political Anarchy One would think that with the destruction of the city and the total defeat by the Babylonians, all the people would have learned their lesson. Unfortunately, not all did, and the drama wasn't over yet. Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 7 through 16, reports the sad facts. Two questions to answer. What message was given again to the people? What is the significance of the word remnant used in verse 11? Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 7 through 16, from the Amplified Bible. Now when all the commanders of the forces that were scattered in the open country of Judah and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, governor in the land of Judah, and had put him in charge of the men, women, and children, those of the poorest of the land who had not been exiled to Babylon, they went to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, and Jonathan, the sons of Korea, Seraiah, the son of Tanhumath, the sons of Ephi, the Netophathite, and Jezaniah, the son of Mekathite, they and their men. Then Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, swore to them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Stay in this land and serve the king of Babylon that it may go well with you. As for me, 
I am going to stay at Mizpah to stand for you before the Chaldeans who come to us, ministering to them and looking after the king's interests. But as for you, gather in wine, summer fruit, and oil, and store them in your utensils designed for such purposes, and live in your cities that you have taken over. Likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab and among the people of Ammon and in Edom and who were in all the other countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of the people in Judah and had appointed Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, over them as governor, then all the Jews returned from all the places to which they had been driven and came back to the land of Judah to get Eliah and Mizpah, and gathered a great abundance of wine and summer fruits. Moreover, Johanan the son of Korea and all the commanders of the forces that were scattered in the open country came to get Eliah and Mizpah and said to him, Do you know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, to take your life? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, did not believe them. Then Johanan, the son of Korea, spoke secretly to Gedaliah in Mizpah, saying, Let me go and kill Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, and not a man will know who was responsible. Why should he kill you and cause all the Jews who were gathered near you to be scattered and the remnant of Judah to perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, said to Johanan, the son of Korea, Do not do this thing, for you are lying about Ishmael. Despite the message of peace and even the ensuing prosperity, Not everyone was content with the status quo. Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 41 from the Amplified Bible. What new problems would the remnant now face? Now in the seventh month, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the sons of Elishama, of the royal family of David, and one of the princes of the king, came at the instigation of the Ammonites with ten men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, in Mizpah. As they were eating a meal together there in Mizpah, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him got up and struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with a sword, and killed the one whom the king of Babylon had appointed governor over the land. Ishmael also killed all the Jews who were at the banquet with Gedaliah at Mizpah, in addition to the Chaldean soldiers who were there. Now it happened on the second day after the killing of Gedaliah, before anyone knew about it, that eighty men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria, with their beards shaved off and their clothes torn and their bodies cut, carrying in their hands grain offerings and incense to present at the site of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping false tears as he went. As he met them, he said to them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. Yet When they came into the city, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the men who were with him, slaughtered them and threw them into the cistern, underground water reservoir. But ten men who were among them said to Ishmael, Do not kill us. We have stores of wheat and barley and oil and honey hidden in the field. So he stopped and did not kill them along with their companions. Now the cistern into which Ishmael had thrown all the corpses of the men whom he had killed along with Gedaliah 
was the one which King Asa of Judah had made about 300 years earlier on account of King Baasha of Israel, believing that Baasha would lay siege to Mizpah. Ishmael the son of Nathaniah filled it with the bodies of those who were killed. Then Ishmael took captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, even the king's daughters, ladies of the court, and all the people who remained in Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, had put under the charge of Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, took them captive and crossed over the Jordan to meet his allies, the Ammonites. But when Johanan the son of Korea and all the commanders of the forces that were with him heard of the murderous behavior of Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, they took all their men and went to fight with Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and found him by the great pool in Gibeon. Now when all the captive people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan the son of Korea and all the commanders of the forces that were with him, they were glad. So all the people whom Ishmael had taken captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and joined Johanan the son of Korea. But Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to join the Ammonites. Then Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces that were with him, took from Mizpah all the people whom he had rescued from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after Ishmael had killed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. The soldiers, the women, the children, and the high officials whom Johanan had brought back from Gibeon. And they went and stayed in Geruth, the lodging place of Chimham, which is near Bethlehem, intending to go to Egypt because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had killed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had appointed governor over the land, and whose death the king might avenge. Though the reasons for the assassination weren't given, the fact that it had been done by someone of the royal family and of the officers of the king suggests that these elitists still had not accepted the idea that the chosen nation needed to submit to Babylonian rule. Because Gedaliah had been put on the throne by the king of Babylon, these people might have seen him as a treasonous puppet who was disloyal to the nation and who, therefore, had to be eliminated along with his court. As the chapter continues, we heard that this remnant now faced a new threat. Fear of the Babylonians, who, perhaps not knowing the details of what happened, would seek revenge for the death of Gedaliah and the Babylonian soldiers. The sins of Ishmael and his men caused fear among those who had nothing to do with those sins. What might this tell you about how, by your disobedience, you can bring pain and suffering to others, even those who had nothing to do with your sins? Seeking Divine Guidance Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 42. Answer this question. What powerful message is found in this chapter, not just for them, but for anyone who seeks guidance from the Lord in prayer? Jeremiah chapter 42, 
the Amplified Bible. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, Azariah, the son of Ahoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest, approached and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be presented before you, and pray to the Lord your God for us, that is, for all this remnant of the people of Judah. For we were once many, but now only a few of us are left, as you see with your own eyes. So please pray that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you, now hear me. I will pray to the Lord your God in accordance with your words, and I will declare to you whatever message the Lord answers. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we fail to act in accordance with all the things that the Lord, your God, sends you to tell us. Take two. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Now hear me. I will pray to the Lord your God in accordance with your words, and I will declare to you whatever message the Lord answers. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we fail to act in accordance with all the things that the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to and honor the voice of the Lord our God, to whom we are sending you, so that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. Now, after ten days of prayer had passed, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he called for Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces that were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will indeed remain in this land, then I will build you up and not tear you down, and I will plant you and not uproot you, for I will relent and be satisfied concerning the disaster that I have inflicted on you as discipline, and I will replace judgment with compassion. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear as if he were deity. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for he is a mere man, but I am the living, omniscient God, and I am with you always to protect you and to deliver you from his hand, and I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your own land. But if you're going to say, we will not stay in this land, and in so doing, do not listen to the voice of the Lord your God, saying, No, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we will not see war, or hear the sound of the warrior's trumpet, or hunger for bread, and we will stay there. Then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you are really determined to go to Egypt and to reside there temporarily, then the sword of which you are afraid will overtake you there in the land of Egypt, 
and the famine of which you are afraid will follow closely after you in Egypt, and you will die there. So all the men who set their mind to go to Egypt to reside there temporarily will die by the sword, by famine, and by virulent disease. None of them will remain or survive the disaster that I am going to bring on them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my wrath have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you enter into Egypt. You will become detested, an object of horror, a curse, and a people scorned, and you will no longer see this place. The Lord has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah. Do not go into Egypt. Know with certainty that I, Jeremiah, have warned you and testified to you this day that you have deceived yourselves, for you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord your God, and whatever the Lord our God says, declare it to us, and we will do it. And so I have told you today, but you have not listened to the voice of the Lord your God in anything that he has sent me to tell you. Now, therefore, know for certain that you will die by the sword, by famine, and by virulent disease in the land of Egypt, where you wish to reside temporarily. Fearful of the Babylonians, the people seek out Jeremiah and ask him to pray for them for divine guidance. They must have known by now that Jeremiah was indeed a prophet of God, and what he said when he spoke in the name of the Lord would come true. They also vowed they would do whatever God asked or commanded them to do. So, as we heard, we heard about a people who seem to have learned their lesson, who want not only to know what God's will is, but, more importantly, to follow it. The words, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord your God, to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God, were a powerful confession of faith. After all that had happened, it was about time. Notice the parallel in this chapter with Jeremiah's earlier message. Don't trust in foreign powers. Trust in the Lord, and he will prosper you, and he will deliver you when the time is right. Salvation isn't from anywhere or anyone else. The foreign powers didn't help you before, and they won't help you now. God has to warn them because he knows the tendency of their hearts. He knows that they are thinking of going back to Egypt in order to seek the protection they wanted. Think of the symbolism. So the Lord gave them very clear and specific commands not to do that, that such a course would bring ruin upon them. Again, such a stark choice, the choice we all have to face, life and peace through faith and obedience to Jesus, or misery and death through lack of faith and lack of obedience. No matter the different circumstances, in the end, the issue is the same for you and me. Unlike these people, we don't always have the warnings given to us so specifically and so clearly expressed, but we have been given 
the warnings just the same. Life or death? Blessing or cursing? What kind of choices are you making every day, either for life or for death? If you haven't read ahead, Jeremiah chapter 42 could be very exciting. What will the people do? Would they reach out in faith, a faith that is revealed in obedience, and remain in Judah? Or would they make the same mistakes that were made in the past? And instead of following a clear, thus saith the Lord, do what they want to do despite the Lord's clear warning in the last few verses of chapter 42 about what would await them if they did go back to Egypt. Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. What did they do? Now it happened when Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent, had finished telling all the people all the words of the Lord their God, that is, all these words, Azariah the son of Hoshea, and Johanan the son of Koreah, and all the proud and insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are not telling the truth. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go into Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Chaldeans so they may either put us to death or exile us to Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people disobeyed the voice of the Lord which told them to stay in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces, took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, women, and children, the king's daughters, ladies of the court, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, he also took Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they entered the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went in as far as Tophanes. When God's word does not agree with our intentions or desires, we tend to have doubts about its divine origins. Likewise, the people and the leaders had doubts about Jeremiah. Apparently, in Israel, only the circumstances had changed, but the people remained the same in their thinking and in their heart. They excused themselves from their vow by attacking the prophet Jeremiah. However, they did not want to attack the aged Jeremiah directly. So they blamed Baruch, his friend and sometimes scribe, and turned their wrath against him, claiming that he had turned the prophet against them. Let's compare Exodus chapter 16 and verse 3 and Numbers chapter 16 and verse 13 in the Amplified Bible. 
What parallels exist between what the people said to Jeremiah and what their ancestors said to Moses? Exodus chapter 16, verse 3 says, And the Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and ate bread until we were full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. And Numbers chapter 16, verse 13, again, describes the people's feelings about Moses' leadership. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land of plenty, flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Human nature is human nature, always looking for someone else to blame for its problems, always looking for an excuse to do what it wants. So, for whatever reason, Baruch was accused of wanting all of his countrymen to die by the hand of the Babylonians or to be taken into exile there. Jeremiah chapter 43 verses 1 through 7 does not say why the people thought Baruch wanted this to happen any more than Scripture explains why the children of Israel thought Moses wanted them to die in the wilderness after they had left Egypt. People in the thrall of emotions and passions may not have sound reasons for their thinking. How crucial it is, then, that we keep our passions and emotions submitted to the Lord. How often do we allow emotions or passions to cloud our judgment or even override a clear, thus says the Lord? How can you protect yourself from letting emotions and passions get the better of you? Might 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 help strengthen your commitment? We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Taken into exile. In our last section, we heard the first seven verses of Jeremiah chapter 43. Now, let's listen to verses 8 through 13. What did the Lord say through Jeremiah? Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah and Taphanes, saying, Take some large stones in your hands and hide them in the mortar in the brickwork of the terrace, which is at the entrance of Pharaoh's house and Taphanes, in the sight of some of the men of Judah, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am going to send and get Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I am going to set his throne over these stones that I have hidden, and his majestic royal canopy will be spread over them. He will also come and strike the land of Egypt, giving those who are destined for death to death, and those who are destined for captivity to captivity, 
and those who are destined for the sword to the sword. And through him I will set fire to the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he will burn them and take them, the Egyptian idols, captive. He will wrap himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd wraps himself with his garment, and he will go away from there safely. Nebuchadnezzar will also break the images and shatter the obelisks of Heliopolis in the land of Egypt, and he will burn down the temples of the gods of Egypt. Taphanes was a town at the northeastern border of Egypt, which had significant fortifications and where a great number of Jewish colonists lived. Here again, the Lord wants Jeremiah to act out a prophecy symbolically. Even though words are powerful, sometimes when things are done in real life, when they are acted out before us, the point comes through even more strongly. How exactly Jeremiah was to bury stones at the entrance to Pharaoh's house, we aren't told. The point, however, was clear. Even the mighty pharaohs were no match for the Lord, and he would fulfill his word just as he had said. The refugees who thought they would find some protection and safety by going to Egypt were as wrong as those who, as we heard earlier, thought that they could find protection and safety by having Egypt come to them. Jeremiah's words, which we find in chapter 37, verses 7 and 8, had declared, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, This is what you are to say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come out to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land, and the Chaldeans of Babylon will come again and fight against this city, and they will capture it and set it on fire. The Egyptian gods were useless, figments of warped imaginations. These gods were pagan abominations that kept the people in abject ignorance of truth. The Israelites should have known, as we should now know, that our only true protection and safety is in obeying the Lord. When self-denial becomes a part of our religion, we shall understand and do the will of God. For our eyes will be anointed with eyesalve, so that we shall behold wonderful things out of His law. We shall see the path of obedience as the only path of safety. God holds His people responsible in proportion as the light of truth is brought to their understanding. The claims of His law are just and reasonable, and through the grace of Christ, He expects us to fulfill His requirements. Ellen G. White wrote those words that were published in the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald on February 25th. 1890. Think about the symbolism, too, in the Israelites going back to Egypt in their desire to find safety. How ironic! In a spiritual sense, what are ways that you could be tempted to go back to Egypt to find what you think you can't find with the Lord? Open Defiance 
in this section, we will hear Jeremiah chapter 44 in three parts. Let's consider verses 1 through 10 and answer this question. What were the captives doing in Egypt? The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who were living in the land of Egypt, at Migdol, at Taphanes, and in Memphis, and in the land of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the disaster that I have brought on Jerusalem, and on all the cities of Judah, and see, this day they are desolated, and no one lives in them, because of the wickedness which they committed, provoking me to anger by continuing to burn sacrifices and incense to serve other gods that they had not known, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I sent to you all my servants, the prophets, again and again, saying, Oh, do not do this shamefully vile thing which I hate. But they did not listen or turn obediently from their wickedness and stop burning sacrifices and incense to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, so they have become a ruin and a desolation as it is this day. Therefore, now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Why did you commit this great evil against yourselves, bringing disaster that will cut off from you man and woman, child and infant, out of Judah, leaving yourselves without a remnant? Why, why do you deliberately provoke me to anger with the works, idols of your hands, burning sacrifices and incense to make-believe gods in the land of Egypt, where you of your own accord have come to live as temporary residents, that you might be cut off and become a curse and a disgrace an object of taunts among all the nations of the earth. Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives who served their foreign gods, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives who imitated the sin of the queens which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not become apologetic for their guilt and sin. Even to this day, they have not feared me with reverence, nor walked in my law or my statutes, which I have set before you and before your fathers. During the Egyptian captivity, Jeremiah had to face the same problem he had while he and his people had lived in Judah. At that time, he had to talk to the leaders. Now, he had to talk to the common people who in captivity were committing some of the same sins that brought this devastation on them to begin with. What startling answer did they give to Jeremiah when confronted by them? Jeremiah chapter 44 Verses 15 through 19. Then all the men who knew that their wives were burning sacrifices to other gods, and all the women who were standing by a large group, including all the people who were living in Pathros, in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word message that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we are not going to listen to you, but rather we will certainly perform every word of the vows we have made to burn sacrifices to the queen of heaven, Ishtar, 
and to pour out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves and our forefathers, our kings and our princes, did in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and were prosperous and saw no misfortune. But since we stopped burning sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And said the wives, When we were burning sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven and were pouring out drink offerings to her, was it without the knowledge and approval of our fathers that we made cakes in the shape of a star to represent her and pour out drink offerings to her? The hardness of their hearts and the deception that had overtaken them is astonishing. Basically, they looked Jeremiah in the face and defied him and what he spoke to them in the name of the Lord. The rationale was simple. In the early days before the reforms of Josiah, when they were heavily steeped in worshiping pagan gods, even burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, things went well for them. They were materially well off and dwelt in safety. However, it was only after the reforms of Josiah, which were too late and half-hearted anyway, that calamity struck. So why should they listen to Jeremiah and all his warnings, which were too late and half-hearted anyway, that calamity struck? Jeremiah's response is recorded in verses 20 through 30. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, to the men and to the women, and to all the people who had given him that answer. The smoking sacrifices, incense, that you burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your forefathers, your kings and your princes, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember in detail of your idolatry, and did it not all come into his mind? The Lord could no longer endure it because of the evil of your acts and the repulsive acts which you have committed. Because of them, your land has become a ruin, an object of horror and a curse, without inhabitant, as it is is this day, because you have burned sacrifices to idols, and because you have sinned against the Lord, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, or walked in his law, and in his statutes, and in his testimonies. Therefore, this tragedy has fallen on you, as it has this day. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, including all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as follows, You and your wives have both declared with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand, saying, we will certainly perform our vows that we have vowed to burn sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven, Ishtar, and to pour out drink offerings to her. Surely then, confirm your vows and go ahead and perform your vows. If you intend to defy all my warnings, proceed. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who are living in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn an oath by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall never again be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah 
in all the land of Egypt, saying, As the Lord God lives, behold, I am watching over them for harm and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until they are all destroyed. Yet a small number of my choosing who escaped the sword will return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, and all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to reside there will know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. And this will be the sign to you, says the Lord, that I'm going to punish you in this place so that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hapra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, just as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and was seeking his life. In other words, Jeremiah said, No, you don't understand. It was precisely because you did all these things that these calamities have come upon you. Worse, your stubborn refusal to change means that even more calamity will come, and the safety you thought you would find in Egypt is a deception and a lie, just like the pagan gods you worship. In the end, you will know the truth, but it will be too late. What about those who, steeped in sin and unbelief, seem to be doing very well, while at times faithful Christians go through terrible trials? How do you work your way through this reality? continue exploring. All through the book of Jeremiah, as through all the Bible, we are confronted with the question of good and evil. And as Christians, we know good from evil because God has defined these terms for us in many different ways. Here are five examples. Example number one, Romans chapter 7 and verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, if it had not been for the law, I would not have recognized sin. For I would not have known, for example, about coveting what belongs to another and would have had no sense of guilt if the law had not repeatedly said, You shall not covet. Example number two, Micah Chapter 6, verse 8. Has he told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you, except to be just and to love and to diligently practice kindness, compassion, and to walk humbly with your God, setting aside any overblown sense of importance or self-righteousness? Example number 3. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. If it is unacceptable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Example number four, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And Jesus replied to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, that is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for others. And example number five, Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 8. You shall not do at all what we are doing here in the camp today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. But what if you don't believe in God? How can you know good from evil? Well, atheist author Sam Harris has a suggestion. He wrote a book called The Moral Landscape, in which he argues that good and evil can and should be understood only in terms of science. That is, the same way that science has helped us understand the difference between the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force, it should help us know right from wrong and good from evil. He even speculates that science might one day cure evil. He writes, quote, Consider what would happen if we discovered a cure for human evil. Imagine, for the sake of argument, that every relevant change in the human brain can be made cheaply, painlessly, and safely. The cure for psychopathy can be put directly into the food supply like vitamin D. Evil is now nothing more than a nutritional deficiency. End quote. Sam Harris's book is entitled The Moral Landscape. That quote is found on page 109. The publisher is Simon & Schuster, Incorporated. Take two. He writes, quote, Consider what would happen if we discovered a cure for human evil. Imagine, for the sake of argument, that every relevant change in the human brain can be made cheaply, painlessly, and safely. The cure for psychopathy can be put directly into the food supply, like vitamin D. Evil is now nothing more than a nutritional deficiency. End quote. Sam Harris's book is entitled The Moral Landscape. That quote is found on page 109. The publisher is Simon and Schuster Incorporated. Most scientists, however, even those who don't believe in God, would have a problem believing that science can solve these problems. If, however, you don't believe in God, where else can you find these solutions? Here are a few thoughts to ponder and questions to consider. With us, Everything depends on how we accept the Lord's terms. Ellen G. White wrote that thought in her book, Selected Messages, Book 1, page 118. Why is it a mistake to assume that salvation comes with no condition? Conditions are not the same things as works or something that gives us merit before God? How can we learn to differentiate between the false teaching of salvation by works, legalism, and the false teaching that salvation is non-conditional, cheap grace? If someone says, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't even believe in God, and yet look at how well my life is going, in fact, I would say that my life is going better than yours, and you are a Christian. How would you respond? 
ambassadorgroup.org. Thank you for exploring with us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.